0: Hey, it's Lacey Broussard and this is the Multi-Orgasmic Mama podcast. From sex and motherhood, birth and relationships, communication and intimacy building, and Taoism and Tantra, we explore topics such as self-care, self-pleasure, body image, jadex, the feminine cycles, creativity in business, and modern spirituality. The Multi-Orgasmic Mama is a place to come for true stories and transformational advice on how to be a mama and a multi-orgasmic woman too. Hi, welcome mamas to the multi-orgasmic mama podcast. Today we have on Dr. Eden Fromberg from New York City. Hi, Eden.
1: Hi, nice Uh, to be here.
0: Good. I'm so grateful that you decided to do this interview with me today. You're just such, uh, everything that you do that we talked about before just was totally in alignment with me and who I am and and what I do, and I'm just super excited to have you on (laughs) Thank you. Excited to be here as well. Awesome. Well, could you go ahead and tell us a little bit about who you serve, what you do? Yeah. Well, right now
1: it's in transition a bit because for, I guess, about the last 12 years or so, I've been a holistic gynecologist in New York City after being a holistic OBGYN in New York City for a while before that, meaning I stopped really delivering babies around 12 years ago and started to focus a lot more on gynecology, a lot on um, helping people become pregnant and prenatal care, but then also postnatal and after the baby's birth, and you know helping people with pelvic floor issues became a huge part of my practice. So right now um, I'm practicing in New York City. But I'm also um, practicing a bit in upstate New York where I was practicing 20 years ago. So a lot of the mamas who had babies 20 years ago, their daughters are now um, becoming mamas and they're becoming older. And so I'm able to still serve them in a new capacity now. Um, I do a lot of things as an osteopathic gynecologist with connective tissue and movement, as well as hands-on therapy. So it's a bit different than your standard OBGYN practice where, you know, there's a lot of medications and surgeries. I use a lot of natural hormones and um, I do a lot more teaching now. I just taught a course called the Female Pelvis and the Cycles of Life with Tom Myers of Anatomy Trains. So Wow, doing a lot of things in that way. Yeah, and I love to support international childbirth with Robin Lim out in Bali.
0: That is so cool. Yeah, special place in my heart. I will make it out to Bali and and meet her one day.
1: Yes, you should.
0: (laughs) Yeah, totally. So I'm just wondering, uh, what do you find that most women come to you for as more of a holistic OBGYN? You know, they're probably not coming to you when they're completely sick or... Maybe they are, but I'm just wondering, what do you see most in your practice?
1: Well, I would say that I would I, I see a lot of everything because as an OBGYN, I serve people of all ages, all walks of life, and all orientations, meaning that some people actually come to me because they think that I'm going to be really sensitive and gentle with them. Um, maybe they have a history of trauma or abuse but other people come because they have a sense that they have a lot of um, connective tissue issues, pain in their bodies that may relate to sexual pain and discomfort and pelvic floor issues. So um, you may be aware that autoimmune disease is a huge issue in women. It's actually the second most common diagnosis in women today and it's happening at younger and younger ages. Yeah, and it plays into connective tissue biology and pain and our pelvic floors. And our ability to orgasm and all of these matters as well. And um, a lot of my patients don't realize it because you think more in the end stage, you know, rheumatoid arthritis, um, you know, connective tissue diseases that have weird obscure names that people have never even heard of. But um, what I'm doing is I'm finding different issues in my patients. And it's a lot of the time related to things like stress and emotions and nutrition and hormones and, you know, some of the very basic things that are important in life. But I think for women, often nutrition and hormones are the top two things that we think are the reasons why things are going haywire in our bodies, if they are. So I guess um, I see people for all sorts of issues, ranging from abnormal bleeding to fibroids to menopause, but I certainly do see a lot of people who have these kind of very specific and more complex issues with Pelvic floor, sexual issues, um, pain and autoimmunity, fibromyalgia, those types of things.
0: Yeah, so I'm interested in the ones that come to you for pelvic floor issues and sexual issues because, mm-hmm. you know, it's the multi-orgasmic drama podcast. So mm-hmm. let's talk about those things. Uh, what are you seeing with, sexual, <laughs> with sexuality in women? What, where are the points that are most painful for them? What's going on with them?
1: Well, I think that a lot of times it has to do with that we 're really holding on <clears throat> as opposed to um, being able to really settle into a very grounded relationship with our bodies. A lot of people are running on high stress and um, high heels, which I think is an important point to make because when a woman puts her foot in a high heeled shoe, she starts to create a spasm in the pelvic floor. This is well documented wow. and The other thing that a high-heeled shoe does is it doesn't have a lot of flexibility and give. Otherwise, you would literally collapse and fall off of it. You know, it has to be rigid. And it's a a lot of the movement in the foot really does translate up into the movement and openness and resiliency in the pelvic floor. And so that's why I mention it. Yeah. So because footwear in New York, you know, it's very much part of a professional wardrobe or a lot of people are in modeling or performance of some sort. And I or just even a professional, you know. I actually had a patient the other day question my non-supportive footwear. She said, wow, I'm surprised that you have these um, shoes that have absolutely no support. And I explained to her then why, and you know, how the foot has a relationship in our body. So, um, so stress is a huge part because stress affects our adrenal glands, which affects our psoas muscles, which has to do with our core resiliency and our core tissues and our autonomic nervous system. And so you, You wouldn't think that all that stuff up in the diaphragm and the adrenal area relates to the pelvis, but it actually really, really does. And the movements of our diaphragm that we breathe with really do have a lot to do with the movements of our pelvic floor diaphragm, which really is a diaphragm. You know, it has a lot of elasticity and a lot of resilience, and we can lose some of that elasticity and resilience for various reasons, ranging from being on birth control pills to having a baby to going through menopause you know uh, and just of like you know the the toll of life we sit on our pelvic floors quite a lot which is a big issue so i wanted you to say you know meditation cushions there's a reason it um you know it brings us onto the front triangle of our pelvis as opposed to like falling back onto our tailbones, and that's very important because there's this nerve called the pudendal nerve that runs around the um the shield tuberosities which is, some of us know as our sit bones and there are these um sacrotuberous and sacrospinous ligaments right there. And the nerve can get trapped just because we're sort of like sitting on it and crushing it all day long. And that nerve actually innervates the pelvic floor massively and has a lot to do with our sexual feelings. So um, there's so much that I can say about it, but that gives you some of the ideas of how, you know, some of our lifestyle plays into it. And then, of course, you know, the various clenching and folding patterns that we get into because... You know, we have to cross our legs, there are various, um, you know, habitual patterns that we get into or patterns um, through yoga or Pilates classes that may encourage a holding pattern or a compensatory pattern that we not, may not even be aware of, but that can cause a spasm or a restriction in the pelvic floor. There are connections between hips and pelvic floor that are really important as well.
0: Wow, that's so interesting. The thing about the high heels is super, it actually makes me feel better because I <laughs> hate wearing high heels. I know. <laughs> I know mean, I have no reason going. to say that, you know, I don't wear them because it'll tense out my vagina and I don't want a dense vagina. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, apparently I've been quoted internationally in multiple languages about this because this is a very exciting fact for people to talk about. Yeah. Yeah. But you know it is really important, and I know you know my patients are often actually resistant to it because it, it is a fashion thing, and I get yeah. it. you know how can you get into that um, Louboutin with that red soul showing you know it's very provocative, but um
0: yeah yeah <laughs> that's super interesting. What I hear a lot of is women that experience pain during sex and they have no idea what is go they think that something is inherently wrong with them if they have that, and they have no idea what to do about it, how to heal it, how to treat it, or anything. Uh, I hear a lot of the the pain during sexing, and a lot of women that have incontinence and prolapse issues after birth that just don't get treated because they don't know what's normal, they don't know what to expect they don't know who to even reach out to for this because no one talks about it so hence, one of the reasons I wanted to do this podcast with you because. Like I'm all about getting the word out and having these uncomfortable, uncomfortable conversations that no one wants to talk about. So what what do you see with that? Do you see a lot of women with vulvodynia, prolapse and incontinence? Yeah, yeah all of
1: those things. And it's funny whenever somebody says that to me, I'm like, well, I talk about it all day, every day. <laughs> right. But I guess that other people really don't. Um, but, you know, first of all, obviously rule out certain other reasons for pain. Like, um, so the first thing that a lot of people assume are that there's got to be an infection or a tumor. So actually we should see about those things like, you know, maybe have a sonogram or at least a really good pelvic exam looking for things like fibroids or cysts or um There's microbiome testing now available for the vaginal microbiome, and you can see multiple types of bacteria from the normal to the um, more bacterial vaginosis oriented to the yeast oriented to the bowel oriented, you know, the STD oriented. So you can get a very good comprehensive look at that. And sometimes it is as simple as that. But there are also issues having to do with atrophy, which means that the um, 3D connective tissue, collagen, elastin, relax, fibers that are between all of the muscles and nerves and tendons, that those, um, they can become very um, sticky, and they can become very dry, and they stop sliding and gliding. And that can be a problem with atrophy, um, and that can be due to estrogen receptors going to sleep they could go to sleep because of birth control pills, they can go to sleep because the hormones of pregnancy shifted them. A lot of times with breastfeeding, the hormones are, you know, at a quite low level, and also due to menopause. So there are a lot of reasons why atrophy can take place, but it can be rejuvenated through <coughs> hands-on techniques, laser techniques, vibrators, sex. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of ways to get in there. As, in addition to estrogen, you know, I can use things like hyaluronic acid and aloe. And So, um, you know, that's the basics, but then a lot of what goes on really has to do with the nervous system, the mind-body connection, and how we perceive things. And what's sometimes hard for people to understand is that pain is more in our brains than it is anywhere else. There are times when people who have pain or chronic pain may be out of pain for a certain amount of time. And it's interesting, like, well, why is that? Did they eat a certain food? Did they take a certain supplement? You know, what, what's the magic thing here? And so I do a lot of testing with my patients. I look for nutrient deficiencies. It's much more common than people would realize to have B12, not deficiency, but an insufficiency meaning not enough to have your nervous system work optimally. And, you know, levels 5, 600 or what I'm looking for, whereas the cutoff is something in the low twos. But that means permanent nerve damage. Like, I'm not waiting until you're, like, going to fall off the edge. I want you to feel well. You know, the symptoms can range from... Um, <coughs> You know, loss of sensation, um, sensory motor, coordination. Um, you know, I've had somebody um, with low B12, I give them a B12 shot and they'll say, I have had shooting pain down both of my legs from my hips for a year and it just went away within an hour of that shot. Wow. So something as simple as a nutrient deficiency correction could really play into it. Like vitamin D plays into 3000 gene expressions, including estrogen metabolism and blood sugar, and you know, all kinds of things. So I like to really investigate, because obviously if it's something simple, let's just address the something simple. I've had people fly from other parts of the world just to find that it's something simple. But sometimes it is something much more complex and um, sometimes that is something that we can address in a short amount of time and i'm often amazed as well because people will come saying i've had this chronic thing they'll be extremely worried extremely distressed and when we find the right solution it really helps turn things around and one of those solutions is hands-on therapies such as osteopathic therapies Um, visceral manipulation is one that i use a lot in my practice I'm looking into hands-on Feldenkrais therapies. Um, I'm getting a master's in somatic movement education, so I love using movement. Like I find, just doing the hands-on creates a somewhat of a dependency. Like it's great for kind of unraveling a problem, but then I think it's important for the woman to be sort of, you know, incorporating certain movements and awareness into her own lifestyle and participating as well. So hopefully, yeah. that gives you some idea of how. Um, you know, we look at it, and I might involve pelvic floor physical therapists, <clears throat> or if things are really more advanced and there's a lot of tension in the system, there are uses sometimes for medication in a limited fashion. I really, um, you know, do prefer the natural approach, but I also like working with people wherever they're at, and we do talk about the options available, and I certainly, you know, work with, you know, we use lidocaine, sometimes even vaginal custom-made valium suppositories to help with muscle relaxation locally so that people don't have to take a valium and feel like their whole body is experiencing that you know they can use it locally like as a local muscle relaxant
0: how do you know as a woman the difference between okay this is a serious condition that you know i need to go to someone like you or to another doctor locally or is this something that i can heal on my own
1: well, I always say that there, I, I'm very much interested in empowering people to do their own healing and have that kind of a relationship, even if they do consult me or another um, healer or physician, just because I think that there's nobody who knows us the way that we know ourselves. And even if the doctor suggests something, I think it's important that we kind of filter that through what we know about ourselves. Because like, for example, I've really had some negative medical experiences. And of course, I've heard the stories of my patients over the years about their various um, experiences just because of poor communication, lack of understanding, something like that. And so of course, you know, educate yourself do research check out different if there's um you know classes in your area that might be public tour oriented that's always of interest i realize that this isn't always available in many areas because people um, consult me from areas outside of new york where they feel like this isn't available or sometimes you know drive or fly in so i see that that is an issue so for those people you know starting to um work on their own is important and there's a lot of good material out there Um, I work with a lot of different manual and movement therapists and um, hopefully I'll be able to create some you know content like what we're creating here now just so you know to help educate people and help them to understand but you know doing work having to do with awareness of the core so as muscle pelvic floor Um, I use a lot of things from somatic movement education, um, yoga therapy, Feldenkrais, so that gives you some idea of some of the areas that I would incorporate that can certainly easily be explored without consulting a trained professional of anything. Um, So that's something I would support regardless, but sometimes it is helpful, and as some of my own healers say, Why do you think you have to do it all alone? We live in community, or at least we're meant to live in community. So maybe there are ways that we can recreate that and have people who are supportive healers in our lives who can add to the conversation. And so, you know, having a, You know, having it be medicalized, though, isn't always where it needs to go. I mean, a lot of times people come to me and I'm aware of that, like people are coming to me aware that I'm a doctor and that I'm coming from a certain training and perspective as opposed to a different kind of healer. But then when I at least reassure them that it's not something that they're going to die of, that it's not a dire situation and direct them towards people who are going to heal let's say through physical therapy or through breath work and emotional things because that's often very much involved um, they feel validated in that and feel more comfortable approaching those things since we do live in a society that is very much um, you know conservative about the whole medical and you know the system of medicine is almost presented as that's all you've got whereas I see it as like well we've got all of these other things and then medicine comes in kind of as the end game when you can't sort it out through more um, means of interconnection in the body.
0: Yes. I love that. And what you were saying about healing from, you know, by doing various trauma healing techniques and breath work, that's stuff that I'm trained in. So I'm super familiar with that. But I, like I was saying before, I, I don't know the medical side of it, which is where you come in. And I think it's so intriguing. Yeah. I, I just want to know your experience with, with breath work. Cause I know we had kind of talked about that before that you you, ha- you do this, you're a practitioner and you help women uh, through healing their issues when they're more emotionally related and that's also that's kind of where we overlap as I do that too so i'm I'm curious your your experience with that.
1: Yeah, sure. So um, I would say that it began, well, I'm an osteopathic physician. So that means, you know, we work with our hands and we understand that there's connections throughout the body. And that, of course, involves working with the diaphragm and the breath and things like that. But it's a much more like, you know, I'm the practitioner doing hands on techniques, sort of an approach. It doesn't really involve the movement aspect, at least not in my training and experience through school, which was, you know, um, I graduated medical school in 1991. Um, so, the movement piece came in for me. It started really. Um, I had done yoga over the years, but really in the mid 90s, I started to do yoga very intensively. First, a more vinyasa ashtanga type of a tradition. Then I got into other styles, you know, forest yoga, katona yoga. And then I really shifted gears a lot into somatic movement education, core awareness, melt method, and things like that because. I was shifting gears in my own body, and I was starting to have various symptoms of inflammation, and I was starting to experience stiffness that actually started to become an inflammatory arthritis. So I was using movement, um, you know, as a way to chase the symptoms at first when I was doing the more intense yoga practices, and then I was using the movement and as a more healing approach. And of course, using it for myself, I had to see, of course, immediately the connection for how it could help my clients. And so, I enrolled in the University of Central Lancashire's master's program in dance and somatic well-being because I felt like I needed an academic basis. You know, as a doctor, you know, it's nice to have something academic backing up what work you do. And um, I completed a continuum movement wellspring practitioner training. um, I think that was in 2014. And so that involved a 17-day course. Um, there's a woman named Emily Conrad who, um, she passed away that year, but she had accepted me into the program. And that's where we really started to use breath work and client work. Um, and there's a lot of different breaths. We, you know, we have different names for the breaths, but a lot of the breaths cross over because, you know, breaths, movement, sound, you know, it's still the human body. So it crosses over very much with breaths you would see in other areas. And from there, the master's program i've branched into other breath work and most recently i've gotten into the kundalini breath work so i've been bringing a lot of different things in because it's just nice to have a large repertoire and then i combine the breath work with movement and that's to me the ultimate because as i use the breath work it can really deepen connection in the body it can really wake up certain nervous system pathways and meridians it can wake up primitive embryological patterns that can help in Um, kind of bringing the body back into healing state. I I think that the ultimate yoga is to conceive of it as the recapitulation of the embryo. And what do our nervous systems have to really believe in um, terms of safety to allow us to go there? It's not about like, you know, muscling it in anymore. That's what I realized about (laughs) the process. Yoga is not about like, you know, getting into the pose. It's about how do we um, figure out how do our joints, want our nervous system to um, be in relation to our organs yeah, and that's the healing gesture.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I've, I'm so relate to the whole yoga and breath work journey because I've been there myself and I was. Inhale,
1: exhale one, inhale, (laughs) exhale two was at one point when I was (laughs) like 20 years ago. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I know I've gotten so far away from that myself. I, I came from the Ashtanga background as well. And like, I, I can hardly, hardly even stand to do that practice anymore. So (laughs) I get it that it's, it was mainly for men in the first place. You know, it was for young boys that were, were learning how to be yogis. So, and it, it didn't, it vibed with my body for a little while and then it didn't anymore because I realized that it was too much for my system, for my nervous system to handle. Um, I think that a lot of women use those kinds of practices.
1: Um, and I see it a lot in New York, because we're a big time, like, you know, Jiva Mukti Ashtanga kind of a town. And yeah, yeah. That we use it when we're younger to kind of keep our adrenals revved up, because we can. Mm-hmm. But I also see how me and a lot of our peers, we were, we were way too vegan, we were like way too into the smoothie culture, because if you had a full stomach, you couldn't do all that stuff. You know, a lot of my friends are yoga teachers from that era. Yeah, yeah. So we're all recovering from that now.
0: <laughs> well, it it brought us to where we are today. So we have. Yeah. To no,
1: I I definitely yeah. think it's great because you know what the way that I use the yoga poses now is I look at them as kind of like these archetypal Zen koans, like of like, oh, that's <laughs> interesting, huh. If my joints were really open, oh, look, yeah, I can really do that. So I find that if I approach yoga through the lens of somatic movement education and what my body is really enjoying as opposed to like trying to achieve a pose and get into it, it's, it's a very different approach. And my body is happy to do those poses when I just sort of want to whip them out. But that's not the point
0: anymore. Yeah. Yeah. If a woman is experiencing pain during sex or numbness... Or has had some sort of sexual trauma or birth trauma, uh, what would you suggest that she do like and she's just realizing this you know or the pain has been there a while or the numbness has been there a while, or she's starting to see now that maybe the pain or numbness she's feeling might be related to some sort of sexual or birth trauma. what would you suggest that where would she start?
1: right, well, some of the things we talked about before are definitely things that I would recommend like. I would recommend um a squatting practice first of all just because squatting is one way to get the entire pelvic floor to sort of spread out and squatting is very much what our pelvises were designed to do even though we live in such a chair and worse than chair bucket seat culture that sort of sucks us back in I know it's so it is important and also to maybe get a foam roller and start doing rocking motions of the pelvis over the foam roller to start getting some resiliency through the hips and the pelvic floor from that perspective And then doing some breathing exercises. I mean, there's a lot of content online that I like a lot. Like I would say Nadine Mishan M-I-C-H-A-A-N. She has a breathwork practice that you can get online and it's very quick, but you know, once you kind of get it, you can slow it down a lot. And that's um, something that I enjoy very much. But beyond that, um, it is good to consult with somebody at some point. There may be people, you know, I teach these courses and people come from various yoga, Pilates, acupuncture, massage therapy, um, rolfing, and PT, chiropractic backgrounds. So like osteopathic, like my background. So there are people from all sorts of different professions who have an awareness of and work with pelvic floor issues. So I would look with somebody who has that specific expertise who can start to work with you. and feel if that seems appropriate, because obviously, your body has to feel good with what's going on. And I'll give you some example of how to discern. So rolfing or structural integration is a technique that involves hands-on therapies that can sometimes be quite painful. And they're opening um, myofascial meridians that often correlate to Chinese meridians. But not everybody is really up for that level of sensation. You know, it, it can be experienced as very painful and somebody who's had trauma or has a very delicate nervous system, that would actually maybe exacerbate the problem, actually make the fibroblast go to sleep and not lay down new collagen. <coughs> issue. So, for somebody like that, maybe a resistance stretching regime or um, acupuncture or dry needling kind of an approach, um, there are trigger point injections that you can look at. So, there's different ways to look at the treatments like that that can get into the same areas of the body in very different ways. So that's why I love this manipulation and craniosacral because they're very, very gentle approaches, yeah. but they can actually relieve uh-huh. restrictions between organs and within parts of connective tissue and the nervous system that we don't exactly have names for in you know um, day-to-day speech. But they're you know having to do with very specific parts uh-huh. of anatomy. And believe it or not, energy healers who aren't as anatomically aware who are very well tuned into the body's energy can do very good work. Obviously, you know, there isn't necessarily a lot of regulation, so you have to maybe get a really good recommendation. I mean, I worked with somebody yesterday who was the most intense experience, but, um, you know, it was through a lot of trust and referral. So um, but realize that sometimes you can work through it um, from a more energetic level. You know, somebody who may be trained in a therapeutic approach that way. So um, there's a lot of different ways to get in. So I would look for people who work in the manual and movement therapies as well as the emotional um, healing, depending on where you feel like you're coming from. And during your journey of exploring this, you may find things come up that you were not aware of. Certainly for me, I became aware that I had a trauma that was really affecting me. You know, when people bring up trauma, and they, would, they I, I've actually had it brought up to me like, well, you know, your system really does express a lot of trauma. And I would say, ah. I wasn't gang raped by strangers as a baby, but then I realized, you know what, I was born with a very tight anus, and they did dilate it with metal rods, and through various healing, through um, physical therapists, I started to have um, memories of various sensations, and I started to really understand, and that helped me personally heal quite a bit from that trauma in ways that I would have never understood, so... For me, healing is physical, but it can also be very emotional, and that's something to be open to just because the um sometimes the wild card or the factor that um is inhibiting it is something emotional, and that being said, the wild card can also sometimes be nutritional,
0: huge yeah, yeah, I love that so much that it's it's all trauma is often can be healed through a very emotional route and a very gentle route as well. And I love the gentleness that, that breath work is. I love the gentleness of the jade egg practice. And I'm curious about that. What are your your thoughts on the jade egg practice? Because I'm a jade egg teacher and people have so many ideas about what it is or isn't. And it's like, uh, you know, it's just new and people have questions. So I'm curious your thoughts on the jade egg practice for trauma healing as well.
1: Well, I was thinking about it actually um, in preparation and thinking that really for me, jade egg has, um, I think it really depends on the situation because I'm thinking about women who have a very, um, you know, large um, pelvic opening after childbirth and they may really enjoy that sensation of being able to um, have a jade egg and something that they can really consolidate around. And then there are other women who have a quite tight pelvic floor and they might enjoy the JDAG because it'll give them that sensation inside where they can start to breathe and relax around it. But then there are other women who they might put a JDAG in and it might cause feelings of panic and discomfort or it might actually cause trouble because, like for someone like me who has you know a tight anal verge because of what happened when I was younger, it would be actually uncomfortable even for me to wear a tampon you know it would cause a lot of anal pressure, so people have to you know feel it out and realize also that even if there is a lot of pressure at first, that may be an opportunity for change and so to me jade egg practice is something that everyone has to approach from a point of comfort and not feel like oh wow everyone has to be um, into jade egg it's the cool thing to do Um, because uh, you know some women do express to me that this is really not for them like many other things it's one of the ways that we can connect mind to body and start to build awareness in an area where we have all of these fun little rings and sphincters and things that can like so you know the jade egg it's really egg shaped i actually have a duck egg right here so i'm going to just I'm almost inspired to play with my duck egg later. No, seriously. <laughs> you, when you say a jade egg, well, you tell me. Um, is a jade egg more like a duck egg size versus a chicken egg size, would you say?
0: Oh, no. It's way smaller. It's um, way
1: smaller. Oh, okay. So wait, here's the blue. My, my little smaller, my blue duck egg. Yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> ah, they come in three different sizes, too. The large one is easier to use, like, if you've just had a baby.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: because it's harder for it to fall out obviously right. uh but when the ones that i sell are medium size because that's the most you know normal okay. you know and then they have a small one too but that's mainly for advanced JDEG practitioners because it's hard to keep it in
1: yeah that makes sense yeah um i think that some of the thoughts that i've had about JDEG are well um so there are these women on the internet, I don't know if you're one of them, but um, who would use the jade egg to dangle chandeliers and oh. large objects from their vagina while wearing high heels, for example. Right. So you're aware of that, right? Yeah, so I'm that totally not, not
0: one of those. I am right? not so, one of those.
1: <laughs> so I'm really actually not so into that. Um, right. Actually, hang on one sec. second. I'm going to grab my pelvis. Okay. Or I should say my pelvis model. Um, so, <laughs> so the thing with the pelvis is there's this misimpression that the pelvis is like this and the pelvic floor is underneath, but the pelvic floor is really in back. And so when people are doing jade egg, the egg may actually be on the pubic bone, depending on the angle of the pelvis. So just something to bring up. And I think when someone's dangling the weight, this would actually be a blessing because otherwise creating um that intensity of spasm around the core and the pelvic floor would pretty much be necessary to hold that kind of weight Um, (laughs) a lot of people are much too tight in their pelvic floor so i would use jdeg as a way to develop resiliency as opposed to a clenching and tight situation yes
0: yes i preach that all the time (laughs) it creates the tone without creating tension there you go. And, and on that note, what are your thoughts on Kegel exercises? Ah, so, um, so Kegels,
1: um, well, first of all, Arnold Kegel, the, the way that I was taught to explain Kegels to my patients was like this. Um, in the middle of peeing, stop the urine stream, and that's the muscle that you use to clench to do the Kegels when you're not stopping your urine stream. That's pretty much the way a Kegel is taught. And so that's, as you can see, that's very, very broad, very very yeah. non-specific very and so i call a kegel just clench whatever you can down there and hang on for all you got in oh whatever i mean that's pretty much what a kegel is so to me and so the thing that i, I sometimes get into trouble for this because when people use the word kegel nowadays they sometimes mean other ways to engage the pelvic floor that are not what I just described, that are more specific. That, and um, I'm like, don't call it a Kegel then. we got to retire yeah. this antiquated word where, you know, <laughs> men were naming pelvic floor exercises after themselves. Like, really? Right.
0: right? Anything,
1: anytime we contract a pelvic floor muscle, <laughs> Arnold Kegel gets credit. I don't think so. so oh, my so, God. I love that. So, so I like – So so let's say not Kegels, but pelvic floor exercise. So first of all, squatting versus Kegels. You know, Katie Bowman of Nutritious Movement is well known for the squatting versus Kegels. You can look at blogs like Breaking Muscle all about that. Um, But it's not as simple as that, obviously, because squatting and Kegels do different things. And the idea that we should never engage our pelvic floor muscles or do anything, you know, where we're consciously doing something functional movement-wise or biomechanically down there is, of course, not you know, a good thing, we need to have various approaches. So even though I'm very much into what I call the biointelligent approach that involves the breath and feeling into gravity, and proprioception and things like that, there also there is also a place for, um, you know, like press your knee against my hand, you know, while I'm touching a certain tissue or rolling um the muscles um, around the ischial tuberosity with a little ball to release them and things like that. So um, yeah, it's a very multifactorial approach. But I think that engagement of the pelvic floor in a specific way for a specific purpose, versus you know just clench everything you've got, um, is where I would go with it. So that's why I don't like the word Kegel because to me it's an old-fashioned word <coughs> and it means that sort of non-specific old-fashioned thing.
0: Yes. yes. Yeah. I say that in my prenatal class, every time we do pelvic floor mm-hmm. exercises, <laughs> I'm Like we need a new word for this. <laughs> yes, definitely. The next question I have is about after birth, as you know, we don't have any sort of rehab system to restore a woman's pelvic health. Uh, like there's no systematic approach here, as, as is most countries. What would you suggest a woman do to kind of rehabilitate herself, to set her up for the best possible sexual and pelvic health at post-birth?
1: Right. So even though it's easy for me to say, well, you know, it's good to squat and it's good to move and do this and do that. The fact of the matter is you have a new baby and that's going to be taking a lot of attention and you're probably going to be tired as well. And so, you know, do that. Hang out with your baby and all those hormones of love and attachment and oxytocin are actually very healing to the pelvic floor and eat really healthy food. And if you are not vegetarian, definitely have bone broth, or if you are vegetarian, you might want to consider it. I say that as a third generation vegetarian who had to Um, bring animal foods in after I had a very um, severe illness six years ago, and childbirth is not necessarily the same thing, but it is a very depleting um, kind of a time where you're really giving part of your body to another being. And so having um, nourishing mineral-rich nutrition to rebuild bone so that you can really support the um, structures of the pelvis is going to be very important. And then doing some squatting, doing some gentle movement, doing movements, having to do like some of what I recommend is you can lie on your back, you can put your calves up on a folding chair or something, and just starting to get into like some oh breath, like oh while kind of like shimming around and you can use the pressure of the calf to lift one hip, lift that the other. You can put feet on a wall and use the feet kind of like I just described. And you can just start to get some movement and conversation going because getting back into the legs and really, um, using the legs to support the pelvis is really important. We live in a sitting culture, we hang out in cars way too much. So getting into the legs and connecting the legs is going to be important. And then of course, explore local resources. Maybe there's a great pelvic floor PT, Um, And often, um, depending, I know in New York, of course, the rumor is always that the best are not covered by insurance, and of course I don't take insurance, but there are a lot of people who do or that they come up with payment plans or there's a way to do it, so it's always worth looking into, Um, and sometimes even just going for a consultation or a few visits can give you a lot of information. And of course, research online. There's tons of content about various things online that we can um, always access. But um, yeah, so um, physical therapists are the most known to do pelvic floor, but other people who go inside could be osteopaths, MDs, chiropractors, you know. So if you need um, special assistance, we can do internal pelvic floor work where our fingers can go inside the vagina or the rectum and help in that regard. And sometimes that is really, really helpful for people.
0: Yeah, yeah. As far as uh, releasing trauma and tension in the vagina, the yoni massage is taught by the tantric tradition has been really helpful in my whole, my own journey. Yeah, do, do you do know,
1: scar tissue and things like that.
0: Yeah, yeah. What are your thoughts on yoni massage?
1: Well, it depends what you mean by yoni massage because to yeah. me it just means massaging the <laughs> vagina. And so it's, again, a little nonspecific um, okay. yeah Yeah. of what you mean by that. But, yeah, I definitely feel that um, there's no reason not to touch ourselves or have others touch us if that's what we would like. We have to feel comfortable, and that's the thing. Everyone has a very different comfort level. I've had mm-hmm. patients who have come to me who I have not – touch them very much um, in their vaginal areas and you know that's because that's where they're at and that's okay mm-hmm.
0: yeah yeah and when I say yoni massage the one that the way that I was taught it includes a lot of de so it's just press and hold press mm-hmm. and hold and release the tension release the tension and same with the like from the g-spot to all the sides all the way up to the cervix. And it's very, very gentle. So it's not like, a, let's get in there and, you know, massage all the, the kinks right. out, you know, it's it's very, very gentle. So this
1: is what I would say about it. Even though I prefer and I work with very specific techniques where I'm very aware of like specific anatomy and how it all plays in, etc. Like I said before, um, if somebody is very adept at working with energy and emotion and can be gentle with somebody that can often be very very powerful work without it being as specific so you know from that perspective it can certainly be good
0: awesome cool and one last question i have for you is that if you had one tip or piece of advice to give to anyone listening today about being a multi-orgasmic mama what would it be
1: Well, I think um, I just should probably talk about orgasm then very, very specifically because um, I know that for me, I used to have like one orgasm and then it was over, like go away, it's all over. And then I became multi-orgasmic. So I do have some insight about this from the perspective of some of what we were talking about before, the connection between the feet and the pelvis, very, very, very important. Um, so having a resilient foot and ankle can actually help with pelvic resiliency and orgasms, so that's one thing. Then the other thing would be resiliency in the hips, So doing things like putting a block between your knees or, you know, doing some resistance stretching bands um, to open the knees to help with the psoas tendons and what we call the adductors and the, um, you know, deep groin tissues, that can also be helpful. And then ultimately, the psoas muscles, very, very important because the psoas muscles, they come from our respiratory diaphragm, literally almost the, um, the core of the diaphragm and the core of the psoas muscles become indistinguishable around T12 in our lumbar spine. And these are the muscles that cradle our adrenals. They're the muscles of fight or flight, but they're all the, also the muscles of like, you know, dance by the light of the moon and like, you know, shimmering orgasm and things like that. And so having that whole um, ovary adrenal and respiratory system and the connection between the heart and the uterus energetically um, kind of primed is always very helpful. And I find that a lot of women, through our stress, we shut down a lot. Our organs, like I always say, our (laughs) organs are always in there waiting for us, waiting to be acknowledged, waiting to kind of express themselves. And sometimes sex is the only thing that we do that gives them that opportunity. And, you know, as life gets more stressful and we're not having sex as much, sometimes that can kind of dampen and go to sleep a little bit. So, anyway, hopefully, yeah. some of the things we talked about today can um, give people some ideas of how to wake it back up.
0: Yeah. So, no wearing high heels, ladies.
1: <laughs> if, I wear high, if I wear high heels, it takes five days to recover. So, that at, at, this, at this point, I won't wear them. Out. I've gotten to the point where I just won't. I have to oh replace my all God. my shoes. <laughs>
0: You are such a wealth of information, and thank you. Like, it's incredible how much you know and understand the female body, and it's really something to behold. So, thank you so much for joining me today and talking about and sharing all of your experiences. I so appreciate it. And if you want to share, real quick, how people can get in touch with you for those listening in.
1: Yeah, so best way is my website is com. It's D R E D E N F R O N B E R G, And all the information about my medical practice, remote consults, and um, the courses that I teach um, should be there. Awesome. Thank
0: you so much. <laughs> Thank you. It's been a pleasure.